Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, guys, today we have a very uh, special guest and uh, really doesn't need any introduction, but we have with us uh, Phil Johnson. Phil, thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, So, Phil, I can't imagine anyone listening to our podcast doesn't know who you are and what you do. But in case that uh, is true, um, why don't you give us just maybe like the the quick rundown, what ministries you're involved in, what do you do, and then we'll kind of move from there. Well, my main responsibility is I'm the executive director of Grace to You, which is John MacArthur's media ministry, the radio broadcast, all the recordings of his sermons. Uh, we do a television broadcast now and uh, our podcasts, social media, and so on. Uh, so I'm, I'm the guy in charge of that, which doesn't mean that I do all the hands-on work. There's a great staff of about 50 people that work under me who do most of the day-to-day work and uh they're the ones who really deserve the credit for uh grace to you Mm. and and uh, at least our earthly success so well praise god for that uh i really appreciate all that you do and i i know that Eki does too um and both of us are probably a little biased uh, towards the ministry there but in any case um well phil you mentioned social media so let me just uh crack this thing open with a social media question (laughs) everybody wants to know where did phil go i got kicked off twitter I, you know, it's funny, uh, and I've been reading some of the comments. I can't really access Twitter. I only had the one account, and um, so I had to actually sign off of it and do a search to find out, you know, what's going on behind the scenes. I found a tweet where someone mentioned that I got kicked off, and I was surprised that I think about 80% of the response uh, was celebratory, people glad I got kicked off. <laughs> And uh, saying things like, you know, they probably got multiple warnings. The truth is, I never got any kind of warning. And uh, though I've been on Twitter since I think probably going back to 2010 or thereabout, long time. I've done thousands of tweets. I'd never been dinged before by the Twitter censors. I'd never been asked to remove a tweet or put on probation or any of that. So this is the first thing. And they send it to me and say, basically, uh, you're off. And, uh, it was because of a tweet that I had done in response to a news story about uh, these crossing guards who were drag queens uh, helping mm-hmm. kindergarten kids across the street to school. And uh, and I made a comment that's basically, you know, government-sponsored grooming. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know the word <laughs> grooming is forbidden, so I used two asterisks instead of the O's, but apparently they saw it anyway. Uh, but, I mean, that that's simply... A matter of truth that's my comment and my biblical convictions on what was a news story what the reason they gave for kicking me off was they said i violated their rules with regard to hate speech or the suborning of violence and my response was that tweet didn't really do either one it wasn't yeah. hate speech and it doesn't have anything to do with violence uh, but they kicked me off anyway and said i could come back if I would delete the tweet, but they said to delete the tweet, if you delete the tweet, you're admitting 
that you broke our rules. Um, and, and I thought, all right, the cost is I have to make a public, basically a public confession uh, that my worldview is wrong and theirs is right. Um, hmm. I can't do that. I just, and I'm not going to claim that I broke their rules when I didn't. So I wrote them back in the appeal and said, look, if you want to delete that tweet, go ahead. Right. Uh, and, and I won't put it back. But don't ask me to to uh, agree that with your worldview and say that, you know, somehow my biblical convictions are wrong. I didn't do any of the things you're accusing me of. And so they've pretty much stonewalled me. They didn't mm. respond to that. They haven't done anything. Whether they'll, you know, delete the tweet and let me back on or not is entirely up to them. I'm not going to delete it. And so uh, it could it could well be that my ban from Twitter is permanent okay if that's the case i get about an hour and a half to two hours every day <laughs> right right <laughs> well I, I mean elon musk is supposed to be purchasing twitter i think this friday um yeah, so right. and and i heard that uh the, a large percentage of their staff is being laid off and uh, and i know he's um well i wouldn't say that i think i think a lot of conservatives are making a mistake of providing too much support for elon musk because some of his views are, are pretty radical but yeah. um, he does he does stand for free speech yeah, and and that would be great. In fact, I'll say at the risk of sounding like hate speech, more than seventy five percent of their staff deserves to be laid off. Frankly, yeah, and uh, it'll be a good thing. It'll be a good thing if it happens. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I, Elon Musk is not exactly my uh, idea of a good role model. So right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah and and that and that comment you made. I mean, that was a relatively tame comment. And and I think it's a it's a sign of the times, and and maybe you can speak to this because why was it do you think that they really targeted that comment? Because because in that case, you know, where you're addressing uh, drag queens who are allowed to be in the presence of children, when we're seeing this more and more, you know, people taking their kids to see drag queen shows and and all kinds of just uh, grotesque and crude displays that are happening there. I, I think this is a sign of the times that that was the comment that got you banned, don't you? Yeah, because, you know, four years ago, I think anybody would have said that and agreed with it. It's it's a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, and you see this everywhere, like uh, school board meetings where parents stand up and read from either library yeah. books yeah. or books that are assigned yeah. reading for their elementary school kids. And the stuff is so bad that uh, it has to be censored to go on the news. Yeah. And the the school boards are telling the parents, you know, you can't read that here. It's obscene. And yet it's required reading for the kids. It it absolutely makes no sense. But it's it's like everything else in these postmodern times. It doesn't have to be logical in order to be deemed mm. true. Uh, so, I mean, that's why men can claim they're women and they're supposed to have free access to the to the ladies room and and you're the bad person if you say that's not really a good idea so yeah. uh, truth has been turned on its head and uh that that is the legacy of postmodernism that what's true is simply a matter of personal perspective and you're not you you can have any view you want the one thing you can't do is say someone else's view is wrong uh, because you know their their perspective is just as valid as yours that's the that's the underlying conviction of postmodernism, and it is tearing society apart. Now, Phil, this is kind of going to lead into, segue into the topic that I, I want to 
talk about today. Um, I want to talk about the LGBTQ, whatever else they've added to the end of that these days movement. Um, You know, we're seeing uh, young people in the church who are um, getting kind of called up in this, well, maybe we're not as nice as we should be. Um, and, and even people who would agree that Scripture says that it's wrong, uh, this lifestyle is sinful, it's abomination before God. Where do you see this movement in terms of its impact on um, the, the, the church, the pressure that it's putting on the church? Do you see this as a significant battle for the church in, in the future? Or what, what's your, your thoughts, your perspective on that? Yeah, I know. I think it's been a battle in the church for the past 20 years. I've I've faced this since I started blogging in 2005. Uh, most of the negative feedback I ever got on my blog was from mm-hmm. people who would say, it's not nice to tell people that they're wrong. Yeah. Uh, and, and like I said, that's the core view of postmodern values, that it's just not nice to tell other people that their perspective is wrong. Uh, And that has seeped into the church, and it is a bad thing, and it is a a very important battle to fight. But I also think it's going to result in a kind of winnowing where uh, the church will Mm. be purged of half-hearted people and people who who really are uh, more interested in compromise with the world and pleasing the world than they are with pleasing the Lord himself. Uh, So, so, uh, you know, in the long run, I think it, it... it's not entirely bad for the church. Uh, it is an entirely yeah. bad movement, obviously. Right. But the results, I think, won't be entirely bad. At the end, uh, it will expose the true remnant. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've frequently said is that throughout redemptive history, all the way back to the book of Genesis, God has always accomplished his will through yeah. a faithful remnant, yeah. never through the the majority. And I think the church uh, of our generation, indeed, the, the church going back 150 years has made the disastrous mistake that uh, we're not going to effectively reach our generation unless we appeal to them. We need to have mm-hmm. a majority opinion. We need to go with the majority opinion. And uh, it's it's created all kinds of unfaithfulness and apostasy in the church. And, and you see it in cycles with uh, all the mainline denominations bought into modernism early and, and went liberal. Postmodernism, while it sounds like it may be the opposite, it really isn't different. It's it's a similar similar pragmatic approach to determining what's true uh it's an anti-biblical approach and uh and i think only that small remnant relatively small remnant it's bigger than most people think but it is a remnant of people who uh truly see scripture as authoritative they will emerge and continue to you know bear the banner of the gospel and the the kingdom of christ will advance and grow like it always does, kind of surreptitiously in in a small way, in a smaller way than most people think it should. Uh, But the the purpose of God is definitely advancing. And uh, while I look at society and complain about so much that's going on and people say all the time, well, you're just a pessimist. I'm not a pessimist. (laughs) I'm a Calvinist. (laughs) <laughs> and you can't be a Calvinist and a pessimist, you know? We know that That's in right. the end, God's sovereign. Yeah. Yep. The truth will triumph, yeah. and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that Christ is building. Uh, 
but what we have to bear in mind, the church that Christ is building is not the monstrosity that calls itself a church, the church right. all around the world right now. <clears throat> Uh, yeah. yeah, that's I think I think you made a great point about, uh, you know, these phases and, and these challenges from culture really act as a as, as a purging element of who the true church is. I've often said that the recent wokeness movement, especially the year of George Floyd and all that, I think painted the lines very clear um, with regards to who we can trust and, and who we can't trust. And, yeah, and even. Yep. Frankly, that was kind of unexpected. I, I didn't see it coming. Uh, it, it did seem to kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah, um, but. But the way it sort of divided, I mean, these groups wh whose very name was Together for the Gospel, right. the Gospel Coalition, mm -hmm. and uh, they were divided and ultimately, I think, defanged and destroyed uh, by that issue. And yeah. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it took me by surprise, frankly. Yeah, I think the Gospel at, at best has become unclear. Right. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, for us and I've, I've said this before, we we need to battle for the purity of the gospel. Right. Um, if we add to it, it becomes works. If we take away from it, we take away from essentials. We, we need to stand upon the purity of the gospel. Um, but you mentioned something interesting. You, you said that you, you kind of this this fight that we're in and, and the pressure to kind of be nice and all that. Um, you said that you've been fighting this battle for 20 years. What was there a trigger? or an event or a movement that that happened 20 years ago or was that really the point where you started to engage it yeah no it was the emerging church movement no um mm. and i'd been since i since i was first saved i i had an interest in uh, making sure the gospel is protected like you said that that is the battle to keep the gospel yeah. pure and it always has been and yeah. see i was saved out of a background of liberal united methodism where I I'd grown up going to Sunday school every every week, but I was taught things in Sunday school uh, that undermined faith in Scripture. Our mm. Sunday school teacher would you know go through a passage and well, the, the thing that stands out in my mind, the one I remember, I was in junior high or high school, and um, we were we were looking at Jesus healing the man with a withered hand, and the yeah. Sunday school teacher, who was a woman who had a PhD in philosophy and all oh, that, that's she's telling good. us, don't 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 assume that this happened literally the way oh. this is this is a morality mm -hmm. tale what's important here is the moral lesson not the miracles she says miracles don't happen by definition they don't happen and i'm like wow so i said and i you know just as a kid i'm thinking well if that's true why are we here talking about it you might as well just deny god exists yeah i mean we might as well be taking uh, uh aesop's fable fables and yeah. having a class about that but why on sunday morning when i could be home watching the nfl pregame show <laughs> and right, i asked right. asked that question in sunday school not purely trying to be a smart aleck but I, I was trying to understand why why do we talk about this instead of you know something that we would all enjoy and uh so she sort of tattled on me to the pastor and he summoned me to his office and and had this lengthy discussion where he said you know she's right the you're not supposed to take the Bible literally. And so wow. I asked him about a few wow. things that I, wow. you know, I wasn't a Bible scholar, but I said, you mean none of the miracles in the Bible ever happened? He said, yeah, well, like Moses parts the Red Sea. Water doesn't stand up in walls. And even if it did, the, the ground wouldn't be dry enough for them to walk on. That couldn't happen. Yeah. And he went through several miracles like that. Do you think Elisha really made a, a, a steel axe head float? Or iron it was, uh, and I, you know, I'm like, 
Okay, so he says, the man with the withered hand, what happened was this. He had heard Jesus teach oh. that if your right hand offends you, cut it off. And he knew not to take it literally, but he bound his hand to his side and purposed never to use it again. And Jesus saw he was doing that and told him, you know, loose it, let it go. And that's how he healed the withered hand. Wow. And, you know, I'm a high school kid, and I'm like, okay, that's kind of reasonable, maybe, but how am I supposed to... How, how do you get that from the scriptures? Yeah. How do right. I understand that when I yeah. read the story? Yeah. But I also decided I should be home watching the NFL pregame show. So I actually stopped going to church for about a year. Mm-hmm. And that so, left such a spiritual hole in my soul that yeah. I began to search for the truth and read the scriptures myself, encountered the gospel and and was saved. And so my, my aim from the time I became a Christian was to make sure the gospel is proclaimed and clarified and defended. And so I've been seeing this forever, but the emerging church movement at the beginning of the new millennium just sort of drew my attention and anger because it was, I mean, they were talking about social justice too, and a host of other liberal issues, um, questioning the atonement and, Uh, you know, undermining pretty much every important doctrine. And yet you had all these evangelicals saying, this is the wave of the future, the emerging church, pay attention to it because it's important. It's going to happen. So I started my blog uh, just to poke holes in those claims and, and point out the heresies of the emerging church movement and ultimately to make fun of them. I made a bunch of posters that showed how they misused certain words and, uh, ironically, of all the stuff I ever did, logical arguments didn't sway them. Biblical mm-hmm. arguments didn't move them. But when you made fun of them, it, it <laughs> you know, it, it had some effect, honestly. And so, but from the beginning, the the complaint was, you're saying these people are wrong, and you don't have any more authority than they do to say that. And I'm like, well, Scripture does, though. And if I show you this from Scripture, then it's true. And um, was surprised to find that even people who considered themselves evangelicals mocked that argument and said, you know, Scripture, they treated Scripture as if it's not authoritative at all. And I felt like I'm right back in the Methodist church again. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that story you, you described as a high school kid, I mean, that sounds like a product of that whole historical Jesus movement. Right where they were going through the Bible and basically just trying to discredit the miracles and and voting on what what they think Jesus actually did and said. Yeah, I wish I were that young. The Jesus movement, I think, it was in the nineteen eighties and nineties. Uh, I was. Oh right, right. Yeah, so that that even predated that. You're right. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm about to turn seventy years old. So I'm old man. <laughs> you look <Wow>. young. <laughs> you do not look it. I I hope I look as good as you when I get that age. If if well, I make it to yeah. that age. <laughs> I'd rather feel good than look good, and uh, huh. and all my joints are deteriorated. So, so I'm definitely yeah. an old man. You can trust me. You, you said something else that uh, caught my ear because with uh, with people that were teaching you that were basically saying, "Hey, you can't really believe what's actually written. You got to read between the white white spaces and come up with these clever explanations for how these things happen without the actual miracle taking place." That actually led you away from the church. And the common argument today is that we we have to. You know, the, the approach that we take today is driving people out of the church. But from your own experience, it, it was a lack of, of just standing upon what Scripture said that actually drove you away. That's exactly right. And it's what Scripture teaches. Is the truth is going to draw the elect. Yeah. Watering down the truth doesn't help the advance of the gospel at all. 
Right. And and you know what what moved me was I had that long meeting with that pastor in his office where he explained away all these miracles. And as I drove away, it occurred to me, I should have asked him about the resurrection of Christ. Mm. And then I yeah. realized, based on what he told me, he probably didn't. I believe know it. he yeah. didn't believe that really happened either. Yeah. But I also knew that if he told the people who sat there and listened to his preaching every Sunday that he didn't really believe Jesus rose from the dead, we'd all stay home and watch football. Mm. Yeah. So that's what I did, and uh, it was kind of a protest against. It wasn't like I ba- abandoned Christianity. It was that I thought, if eh, these people don't take the Bible any more seriously than that, I, I don't want to be part of their movement. But my problem was I didn't take the Bible seriously either. I didn't read it. I didn't pay attention to it. And it wasn't until I picked it up one night, feeling guilty about something I'd yeah. done, uh, and started to read it that the word of God, which is like a two-edged yeah. sword, just mm-hmm. pierced my heart and changed my the whole direction of my life. Well, and I would say that their portrayal of it, is, uh, of it being just kind of nothing more than fairy tales gave you all the excuse in the world to just walk away mm-hmm. and stop studying it. Right. That's right. And, and I'm afraid, you know, most of my uh, peers from that era probably did abandon Christianity altogether. I I don't know many of them who actually found the gospel or or even took scripture seriously after being exposed to all that liberalized religion. And That's in this I hate it. <clears throat> yeah, and in this day and age I'm I'm thinking of so many people that uh, high profile people, part of praise teams and stuff like that that walked away from the church and when they give their testimony as to why they walked away from the church, oftentimes I'll see, well, there was no answer for um, how does the Bible explain evolution? How does the Bible explain this cultural attack and that cultural attack? And they leave being convinced that there were no answers to it. Well, I think part of the reason why there are no answers to it, I mean, one, I I don't think the Holy Spirit within them was drawing them towards the truth, but also they're at a church that wasn't teaching the truth, wasn't going deep in the truth. And when you stay shallow, you leave people with the impression that there really is no other answers aside from just the shallow theology that's being taught. That's right. And and let's be honest, they personally bear some of the, uh, the responsibility themselves, because as soon as I was convicted of my sin and, and knew I really needed to be serious and follow Christ, I began to look for answers to those yeah. questions yeah. and found that they're, they're not that hard to find. No. You know? Yeah. But it, people don't want to know the answers. Right. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. Good. Yeah. It, it, it's just interesting. I mean, you're talking about this and how long you've been fighting these battles and you just come to see, you, you know, you jump ahead 20 years and nothing's really changed, right? We, all of this stuff is an attack either on the sufficiency, the authority and inerrancy of scripture. It's just, you know, maybe packaged a little differently for a different generation, kind of the same battles over and over again is what it seems like. And Yeah, and- well, I'll tell you what made that clear to me. Uh, because I'm, you know, so, sort of putting that together based on what I've seen in my own life uh, by 1990. Uh, but then I discovered Spurgeon and the downgrade controversy and realized mm. that was more than 100 years ago. And he was fighting the very same battles that we're fighting now. It's the same thing. If you just read Spurgeon's writings from the downgrade, and I wish more people would do that. I think they would recognize some of the very same conflicts and controversies that that are boiling in the church today. Yeah, you know that that I was actually I was going to ask you about Spurgeon because I I was saved at Grace Church in two thousand seven, and I remember um, we had a conference uh, early that year called "Time to Act Like Men." You were one of the speakers along with Alex Montoya, John MacArthur, and Mike uh, Fabares. 
Um, but I, I do remember at that time you, you were you were the guy to go to with questions about Spurgeon. You were doing a lot of study about Spurgeon. And I do remember a story that you brought up how in Spurgeon's time, it became fashionable for people to speak with a lisp. Do you remember this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in fact, uh, it's it's there's still this sort of uh, in England, I think, and my 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 uh, English friends are going to chafe at this. But but in my in my experience, it's true that a lot of English preachers seem to think that being timid and effeminate and, uh, you know, soft around all the edges yeah. that somehow is how preachers are supposed to be that to be bold or or uh definitive or even to raise your voice at all is it's a breach of uh british protocol in the pulpit uh and spurgeon said that was true even in his time and so he he there's a there's a section in i think what what you're referring to i was reading a quote from his lectures to my students where he was telling them, look, avoid this sort of effeminate delivery in your sermon. Don't no. be afraid to speak boldly and clearly and avoid that sort of lisping. And, and he wrote it out so that it's, it's actually kind of funny to read how he describes the lisping effeminacy of British preachers in those days. And it's it's the same issue we're, we're facing today. It is. And it goes back to the beginning of Spurgeon's uh, ministry. When he first came to London, there were a lot of newspaper cartoons about him, and one of them was uh, a contrast between Spurgeon and the typical Anglican vicar. Yeah, and the Anglican vicar stands in his pulpit and he casts the shadow of an old woman. Yeah, yeah. Spurgeon's yep. in his mm. pulpit, and the shadow he casts looks like a lion. Mm. You know, and I, I think you told that exact same story at the time, Dak Like Men conference. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and so so, what are the main lessons that you pulled from Spurgeon, having gone back, read Spurgeon, um, that uh, that that you would advise for preachers today? I mean, obviously, we've talked about boldness, standing upon truth, but what what are some of the things that you learned from Spurgeon that you found insightful? Well, I think the most important thing is that there there is nothing new under the sun, and and one of the points, in fact, the central point that Spurgeon was making in the downgrade articles was that what's happening and lending itself to the decline of the church today is the same stuff that has always led to apostasy in the past. And if we just studied church history and learned from it, we might avoid some of these hmm. mistakes. But it's yeah. the same cycle over and over again. And it's a leftward drift uh, towards the the heresy of Socinianism. Socinianism was a, uh, a Reformation-era heresy that came up uh, with, with a couple of Italian guys, uh, an uncle and his nephew, who uh, I think wanted to join the Protestant movement, but they went so far as to reject everything Catholic, uh, including the authority of Scripture and the, the literal truth of the miracles in Scripture. I mean, they were, mm. they were the classic uh, theological liberals. And that those ideas, that same set of ideas, then has resurfaced in deism, Unitarianism, yeah. modernism, liberalism, the emerging church movement, and now wokeism. It's all the same set of ideas. Yeah. It's the same arguments. It's the same complaints. Uh, it is the same pattern over and over again. And if Spurgeon had lived another 150 years, he'd be scolding us all for, for not listening to what he was saying in the downgrade, but there's ample proof that he was absolutely right. Mm. 
Yeah. And and uh, the church just keeps making the same mistakes over and over again. We just don't learn from church history. Would you say this is similar to what uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones went against uh, with the whole Billy Graham, John Stott um, controversy of his day as well? Yeah, I think there were elements of it there. Uh, I, I think probably his 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 wariness, let's say, about Billy Graham and his for the revivalistic approach was more rooted in the fact that he was a Calvinist who who was who saw the dangers of casual Arminianism, and he yeah. saw that sort of casual Arminianism in in Billy Graham's approach to evangelism, and mm-hmm. tried to talk him into changing it. Uh, but that also led then to some compromise with Billy Graham, where he he decided no problem if he includes Roman Catholic priests in his you know armies of counselors and and sent a lot of people to Catholic churches and liberal churches and uh, you know Billy Graham was one of the first uh, let's say neo evangelicals who who began to absorb some of these left leaning ideas about you know truth and. Yeah. And fighting for the truth and not fighting for the truth. He, he was one of the early evangelicals in our generation, at least, or my generation, who, who felt that uh, fighting for the truth or telling other people their views are wrong is somehow unkind and unsavory and, and unloving, and we, sh- we just shouldn't do it. Well, and then I, I saw, I, I always viewed him as kind of the reflection of the evangelical movement that was on the rise at that time, that was really trying to be friendly with both sides, right? The fundamentalists right. as well as the Christian liberals. Yeah, and you can kind of understand it if you study early 20th century church history, there were some fundamentalists who were like wild-eyed crazies, yeah. and uh, they're trying to walk a middle line. I just think they drew the middle line way too far to the left, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, so, you know, here we are, years and years later for you, and I, you know, I mean, I haven't been around quite as long as you, so feel free to correct me here, but at least in my time, in in our culture, it it looks totally different than anything I've seen in history books. Um, It's definitely different now, just the whole culture, the whole atmosphere, the whole political, you know, arena. Um, And it seems like that maybe for the first time in quite a long time, things may uh, become quite a bit different for Christians and for the church in terms of, you know, American Christianity. Um, and, And maybe talk a little bit about where you see that going in 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 the future and then just kind of you know the solutions are always the same right we we come back to scripture we stand on the sufficiency and the authority and the inerrancy of scripture we stand you know for the truth boldly um and and those kinds of things but do you see that for future generations of the church that um that there's going to be an increased level of persecution uh, you know where where do you kind of see that going yeah i think that's there's no question about that the hostility against the gospel yeah. has become steadily worse and uh uh and yet uh what i think what, what we we tend to see our little area of history that we're familiar with in terms of the 200 years of american history and uh, the founding of America actually set up a, a situation for the church that really most Christians through history never experienced, where we had freedom to worship and, yeah. and very little government interference in what we taught or what, what how we worshipped. 
that's what's changing. Uh, and it's changing dramatically and in a frightening way because uh, the the prevailing mindset today is that w- what's wrong with our culture and what's most dangerous as a threat to democracy, they'll even say, is freedom of religion. So they want to squelch opinions like you, you can't you can't say that uh, uh, putting a drag queen in a crossing walk at a kindergarten is grooming kids. You, you're not permitted to say that. That's an encroachment on religious freedom. That's saying you cannot have this biblical conviction. That's yeah. hate speech. And a lot of what the Bible teaches is is now being classified as hate speech. There was an article just this morning that I read about a, a pastor who uh, gave a political endorsement. I wouldn't have given a political endorsement, but he did. And so the leftist newspapers did some research on him and found out that he believes homosexuality is a sin. He's against mm. abortion. They mm. made this list of stuff uh, and portrayed him as this hateful, angry Nazi type, you know, fanatic. And uh, so that's that's what's going to happen, I think, to all of us. Uh, there are already countries in the world. I mean, Grace to You is on the radio in most English-speaking parts of the world. There are already places where if we, uh, if we run a broadcast where John MacArthur quotes any scripture or, or mentions the fact that the Bible says homosexuality is a sin, then we get dinged with a fine for hate speech, even if mm. all you're doing is reading what scripture says. Wow. Uh, so, so that's, and that's moving with extreme speed and and um yeah it's unlike anything we've ever experienced or even our grandparents but if you take the whole scope of church history and go all the way back to the time of the apostles more christians have lived with that kind of opposition and persecution than than the number of christians who've lived with a, a degree of religious freedom so I think what we're seeing is that the world's hatred for Christ is sort of reaching more levels of normalcy. And uh, uh, and I don't think people ask this occasionally. I don't think American culture is redeemable in, in the sense that it's going to move back towards a more. I'd like to see that happen. It'd be yeah. great if it did. But you, you can't make that happen by passing laws. Scripture itself says yeah. if righteousness can come by the law, then Christ died in vain. Yeah. So you can make all the laws you want, and you're not going to move the needle of society back in a more righteous direction. What's needed is the proclamation of the gospel. And until the church gets back to doing that uh, with zeal and clarity and enthusiasm, I, I don't think the church is going to have much of an impact on the culture. And, and signing people up to run for public office that alone isn't gonna isn't gonna make a difference either. So uh, right now, I think the majority of Christians who are most concerned about this are actually following the wrong mm. the wrong course to try to try to correct it. What we need is is a lot more volume and clarity on how we proclaim the gospel. You know, that's an interesting comment, Phil. And I think this is one of my one of the things that I'm deeply concerned about. Um, that, that I see in, in the area that I am, and I, I made this statement publicly, and I, I didn't mean it to be inflammatory, although I, I knew it would be taken that way. Is I, I think a lot. Anything you say these days can start an argument. <laughs> that, that, that's true. Nice. 
The weather's really nice today. You're going to get somebody who will argue with you. But more Nathaniel than me. I just want to make that clear. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, so I made the statement that I I fear that uh, far too many American Christians are becoming more American than Christian. Um, and, 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 And you really hit the nail on the head there. Because it seems to me, um, and I could be wrong, but it seems to me that a lot of uh, American Christians are moving towards the idea of there being a, a political solution. And and that's just not true. And I think of Pilgrim's Progress, which I, I, I love. I love Pilgrim's Progress. Um, and I worry that we've sort of forgotten that we are pilgrims, right? That our citizenship is first uh, a heavenly one and that we're here. We should be good stewards. We should do those things that are pleasing to God in whatever areas of life we we can. But ultimately, like you said, you can pass all the laws you want, but if you don't, if the hearts of men aren't changed, then any good law that's passed, you'll just get corrupt leaders that ignore or amend or change those laws. Yeah, that's right. And history is full of lessons on that too. Whenever uh, uh, Bible-believing Christians have at times gained political power, there was Cromwell in England and Calvin in Geneva, and the the political clout that they wielded always produced disaster rather than good things. Mm. And and it's it, to me, it's easy to see why. Jesus himself said, "Look, the rulers of this world uh, exercise their authority through dominion. They take dominion over yeah. people." They, yeah. but he said, "It shall not be so among you." But mm-hmm. you know, let him who who wishes to be first be the servant of all. Uh, Christianity isn't not is not designed to advance through uh, either at the point of a sword through military power or at the point of a pen through uh, legislation. Uh, Christianity advances us one soul at a time as people respond to the gospel and their lives are changed. Uh, and and the, the only times you see in world history where wretched societies have been transformed for good is where the gospel mm. you know really caught hold and got traction it it, it, it never happens through political force or military no. force and until the church learns that lesson i i don't see evangelicalism really having the sort of impact that we ought to have on our culture and I, and i sometimes wonder if american culture is so far gone that it's it's really irredeemable at this point that yeah. we're, we're <clears throat> you said already, something we're yeah. already under the judgment of god and mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. Yeah, Romans 1, 18 through uh, to, to the end of that chapter. Um, you, you mentioned with the emergent church that I think connects to today. You said even then, um, that movement uh, was um, very uh, kind of um, um, pushing the social justice, social transformation kind of thing. And then I think if if my time on Twitter the last couple of years have sh- has seemed to show me anything, it's that a lot of these leftist positions, they're all connected. You know, what I mean by that is that where you have, for instance, um, female pastors, you also have feminism, you have this acceptance of LGBTQ, you've got this position on the social justice matters. So it's on first glance, you wouldn't think that they have to be connected, but they almost always seem to be connected. And and that coordinates also with this kind of diluting of the gospel or this confusion between our real hope, which should be, as Peter said, set your hope completely upon the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ versus a hope that they place upon this world and and the correction of things in this world. Um, Theologically, how would you explain why those things always seem to be connected? 
Because every one of those liberalizing ideas stems from a lack of conviction about the authority of Scripture. Uh, scripture is pretty clear that women are not to be pastors, and and yet uh, people who find a way to explain that away or twist the pertinent texts to to say what they don't to mean what they don't say uh, that 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 what what underlies that is a lack of conviction on the authority of scriptures. Yeah. And once you can compromise away the clear teaching of scripture on that issue or any other issue. Uh, it's like a set of dominoes and they all fall. And social justice is the same way. The The, the whole idea of social justice, the, the, it's an expression never used in scripture. Yeah. Uh, why? Because what is commonly understood when you mention social justice is a set of ideas that departs from what scripture describes as justice. Yeah. Biblical justice includes the the timely punishment of evildoers. Biblical justice means if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. All mm -hmm. of those are principles of biblical justice that are purposely left out or even overturned yeah. by the concept of social justice. And in biblical justice, uh, it is not the government's responsibility to provide mm -hmm. for the poor. It's it's you, you are responsible for your neighbor. And and the whole thing about social justice gets away from that and puts the burden of of charity on on government agencies. And that's yeah. why you see these people who, who look like such hypocrites. They live in wealth and all the, yeah. you know, rich white liberals who are touting these ideas are people who live in opulent wealth while all around them. There are homeless people here in L.A. The streets are covered with them. And they'll complain about the homeless people and why isn't something done, but they have the means to help a lot of those people, and and yet they don't feel the responsibility to. Why? Because they've adopted a skewed view of justice yeah. where they have put the responsibility for loving their neighbor off from themselves and put it on the government's shoulders. And like anything the government touches, the government, you know, bungles the job. Yeah, and, and there's a great deal of partiality that comes with social justice, where you 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 pick out class groups or, or groups of people and, and give them preference over the others, which very much goes against what biblical justice really is. Yeah, in fact, it's it, it's precisely what it pretends to hate. Yeah. It, it, it's a form of racism and classism and all of those things. So. Now, I'm listening to this, and it's very interesting because I'm thinking, it, you know, if if I were... If I were Satan and I knew that I couldn't touch God's elect, but I wanted to destroy a, a country and keep people from the gospel as long as possible, a, a good plan would be to convince people to do things that they thought were good things, even to twist that um, so that people would be distracted from the, the power of the gospel proclamation. And, and that's, that's exactly right. what we see, right? Right. And that's what Paul said. You know, the, the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. Yeah. Uh, and yet, the typical Christian today, I would say the overwhelming majority of people who self-identify as evangelicals, think that if somebody's nice and he looks good and he smiles, Joel Osteen, you know, how yeah. can he be a bad guy? Yeah. Well, we just yeah. had these statistics come out uh, that Ligonier did, right? I think uh, John MacArthur mentioned from um, a talk that he gave recently, but it gave stats on, you know, quote unquote, modern evangelicalism in America, whatever that term means anymore. Um, and while I shouldn't have been surprised by any of those statistics, it it was a bit shocking in, in some ways. Just the number of 
professing evangelicals who say things like God accepts uh, the, the worship from any religion, right? Or, or the number who denied the deity of Christ. I mean, just very fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith where, you know, I imagine 70 years ago, you know, the average Christian would have been able to talk to you about these things. Uh, now, the majority of Christians, at least according to these, uh, these studies, don't even know fundamental Christian doctrines. Yeah, that's right. And I would say the polls, those polls that give you that data are part of the problem because the pollsters have skewed the definition of what is an evangelical. And it's not just the pollsters. I would say, you know, one of the great culprits mm. of uh, of my generation is Christianity Today magazine. Mm. Not, not to pick yeah. on them in particular, but they, no. they epitomize what's wrong with big movement evangelicalism. That magazine was founded to be, in their words, this is how they self-describe, they would say, we are the house organ of the evangelical movement. Hmm. Uh, and yet, there's nothing left in that magazine that's truly evangelical. Uh, they don't know how to define the term. They admitted that uh, about 15 years ago when they had their, I think, their 50th anniversary. Uh, they had they had Martin Marty, who's never professed to be a evangelical, write the article that, you know, defines what an evangelical is. And mm. they ultimately decided that the defining factor of evangelicalism is our diversity. Really? Mm. I mean, the word evangelical has gospel in it, yeah. uh, but, but they've so redefined evangelicalism. And I think part of the motive behind that was to make the tent as large as possible just to, you know, infl inflate the numbers. So it made it seem like they had more clout than evangelicals really have, because so many evangelicals today think our collective clout is what we need in order to influence this world. And, and we're back to the idea where that's not how the Lord works. He works through a remnant. He doesn't eat clout. I mean, remember the, the places in scripture where he he condemned David for numbering Israel because the the, the underlying presupposition there was that uh, our clout is what we depend on. And, mm -hmm. and Gideon, you know, he, he, right. he had Gideon chase a bunch of men off so the army wouldn't be too big because the Lord doesn't need our clout. He needs our faithfulness. Mm. Yeah, it's just it, as the Lord told uh, the Israelites before going into the promised land, I, you're, you're not... I didn't choose you because you're the great. You're the greatest and the strongest, right? Yeah. Um, it, it was really his um, elective love that uh, that put made him their god. Yeah, um, scripture's full of that idea. Yeah, it is. And, it you is. know, Christ chooses disciples. He doesn't go after influential people. Fishermen. Yeah, fishermen. Right. Who's going to listen to them? Uh, I mean, his church growth strategy was to tell a group of people if they ate his flesh and drink his blood, right? Uh, and so the the church grew instantly, right? No, I mean they all left. Is he yeah. turns to the disciples and says, do you want to go yeah. too? Um, yeah. yeah. I, I have a question. Um, so knowing that, you know, you're the director of Grace to You, and we've been talking about kind of the culture war a little bit. Um, just last week, I got a chance to watch Daryl Harrison. He was speaking in, uh, in Arizona. And uh, Daryl Harrison, obviously, he's on the Grace to You staff, and he's under huge demand now. I mean, he, his name is basically everywhere. But, yeah. but I'm curious as to... What led Grace to you to reach out to him and have him join the staff? Because it was like the perfect timing. He came on just as that culture war was about to explode. Yeah, I get to take credit for that. I was reading uh, Daryl's blog and uh, so impressed with how he wrote and how he thought. And uh, and I happened to meet him. We we were brought together, I think, by Todd Friel, 
to videotape um, a, a public meeting on social justice that Todd ultimately decided to scrap the videotape. I don't think he ever used it anywhere. But we had this evening in Atlanta where we were all, you know, sort of doing a roundtable discussion on social justice. And and I had I had always wanted to meet Daryl because I read his I read his blog and thought, what a brilliant man he is. And and so I I jumped in the same car he was in as we drove to dinner that night. And on the way there, he says, How did you get, you know, to Grace to you? I told him the story of yeah. how I moved from Moody Press to Grace to you. And he said, yeah, I wish something like that would happen to me. <laughs> As I said, in, in telling my story, I said, basically, John MacArthur said, you should just quit your job and come to work for me. And, uh, and I said, okay. And, and that's when Daryl said, I, I wish something like that would happen to me. I said, well, quit your job and come to work for us. And he laughed that's like funny. I was kidding. And I said, no, I'm serious. I'll work <laughs> the place for you. And so he did. And it was that simple. Uh, you're right. He came on at exactly the right time. Yeah. He's the smartest guy on our staff, and uh, of all the people at Grace Community Church, other than John MacArthur, he is the one who's most in demand as a speaker. They want him everywhere. I, I and, and it's not hard to see why. I mean, he um, yeah. he, he gave some great really. messages. Yeah, br- yeah really. Ma- to, I mean, his podcast it, it's it's crazy. He and he and Virgil Walker do this podcast yeah. that sometimes goes to three and a half yes. hours. Yes, yes, which. Cool, you know who would make a three and a half hour long yeah. contest but i dare you to start listening to it and, and yeah. find it easy to turn off it's compelling yeah. and they don't do it like weekly or daily or whatever it's kind of sporadic whenever they yeah. get around to it they put out a new podcast well they're both under a lot of demand now yeah 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 and and their podcast is one of, is is probably in the top three or four christian podcasts yeah it's way up and there it deserves to be they do their homework they, <laughs> compelling it's in, interesting. It's it's personable. Uh, I, I love those guys. Yeah, it's 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 been a joy to just see their platform grow and 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 their ministry really get a lot of attention because they've helped a lot of people all over the nation. But I remember my introduction to him was um, you had posted about an article that was on his blog site, and I still remember it. It was he he wrote about how the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, um, and at that time it was still on his blog site, and he had not yet moved over. Um, but it's been great to see just uh, just how God has used both him and Virgil. Yeah, he's he's a great addition to our staff. We tried to hire Virgil too, but G three hired him out from under us, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably good. It, we'd be in trouble if we had both Virgil oh, and Virgil. <laughs> yeah, G G three G three is doing great things uh, with their conferences and yeah. um, drawing a lot of uh, a lot of flaming arrows from uh, from the other side as well. Virgil's a great guy too. He and I yeah. went to the same high school. Is that right? Yeah. He was wow. like 20 years behind me. <laughs> He's not as old as I am, but yeah, we graduated from the same high school in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Wow. Wow. Small world. Yeah. Well, Phil, as we kind of wrap up here, um, I, let me get you to just maybe say a quick few words to, to two different groups of people. First, um, m- maybe just what would you say to pastors who are m- maybe sort of um, in, in, in our camps or, you know, they're 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 committed to the inerrancy, the sufficiency uh, of of scripture, the authority of scripture, but they're feeling the pressure of society. Maybe they're new in the ministry, or, or whatever the case is. Um, just what what would you say to those guys in terms of um, yeah, just being an encouragement, uh, words of wisdom, what have you? Yeah, probably 
because I just I just was preparing a sermon on this text, but I'd probably echo what Paul said to the Ephesian elders. Keep a close watch on yourself and the flock. Yeah. Uh, you know, guard your teaching, guard the guard the doctrine, and don't be afraid or ashamed to do that. Uh, and and you know, ignore all these uh, stylish experts who are telling you that you you have to change the way you do ministry. I think it was even. Andy Stanley, who said, we need to ditch the shepherding yeah. metaphor because it doesn't communicate anymore. I'm like, really? So get out of the pastorate then, because that's what pastor means. Uh, right. If you can't be a shepherd, then you don't understand church leadership and you shouldn't even speak on the subject. But Well, he's already unhitched from the Old Testament. So, yeah, I'm, well, he unhitched from the Bible is what he did. <laughs> but. But, um, yeah, so take courage and and uh, speak clearly and with courage. People love John MacArthur for that very thing. Yeah. Uh, and it amazes me, though, that there aren't more pastors who, who who just unashamedly speak the truth when they have the opportunity. Mm. Why do Amen. we nuance everything? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I mean, First Timothy makes it clear, all those who wish to lead a godly life are going to be persecuted. Right. So just, you know, get rid of the idea that that's not coming, that it doesn't have to happen here. Embrace it and then, you know, stand yeah. in truth. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that is a, I'm glad you said that, because I think that is the, the the at the root of the failing of a lot of people who otherwise they, they, they have sound discernment. They 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 get the truth. But if they ever get in a conflict over it, they'll back away because we all seem to have this instinctive feeling that if if, yeah. if what I said made people angry, mm. then I did something wrong. But look at the ministry of Jesus or Paul, and you yeah. realize that's yeah. not necessarily the case. Sometimes you have to speak truth, and it will make people angry. And you you don't want to be belligerent or or unloving or any yeah. of those kinds of things. You have to be as gentle and and kind as you can. But the fact that people get angry doesn't prove that you failed in that endeavor. No. Sometimes people just hate the truth. Yeah. And well, we see that in Jesus's life for sure, right? Yeah. I mean, he was the yeah. most kind, gentle, you know, uh, human to ever walk, fully God, fully man, and they crucified him. Yeah, except for those times when he turned over tables, you know. That's <laughs> Well, rap, yeah, and he 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 was never absent perfect love, even in those kinds. So some That's people right. need to wrap their brains around that. Yeah, yeah. I often I often say I, when I look at the pastors who have um, who have really strayed from the truth, it's one of three things in my mind. It's either um, a lack of knowledge; they just don't know the scriptures, um, or they don't care about the scriptures. Uh, a lack of discernment; they may know the scriptures, but they can't discern the attacks. But then the third, and and I think this is where a lot of people have failed, is just a lack of backbone. Yeah. 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 So if your pastor listening and you need training, uh, apply to the master seminary. I didn't even get paid to say that, uh, <laughs> but it's a great place to go. Um, but uh, let me, the second group of people feel, I'm thinking of, you know, guys in the pew, right? Th these are the, the people who they're in the workplace. They're being constantly bombarded um, with the pressure to, um, you know, agree with this movement and that movement. Um, and, you know, in some cases, I imagine that a lot of these people are coming to church and they're wanting just a, a breath of fresh air, some encouragement there. What what would you say to those guys in terms of how to steel themselves um, in a society that, to be quite frank, is putting pressure where it's not been um, in the way it has in the past? 
Yeah, I would say read the end of the Beatitudes and and remember that Jesus said, look, you're blessed when people speak evil of you and, you know, reject you and hate you. And he said, look, the world hated me. And if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So so that again, I mean, it's the same thing we've been saying. That's the fact that people get angry or despise your opinions or even despise you personally. That isn't proof that you're wrong. You, you you should examine yourself when when you get pushed back. I'm not saying otherwise, but but you, you have to stand by the truth. And as long as what you're saying is anchored in biblical principle and it's it's a, a, a an issue of divine righteousness that you're taking a stand on, do not back down. Even yeah. if even if people stone you to death, I mean, Stephen is the the first example in the church on that. And uh, just just imagine if he lived in our era, hmm. uh, yeah. people would blame him for stirring up that crowd to so much anger. He should have taken a more nuanced approach. Yeah. Yeah. Any last thoughts from you, Eki? No, I, I I really appreciate your time, Phil. Always always a joy to be able to speak with you and just hear your thoughts on things. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, guys, we hope that this has been helpful uh, to you. You can find our uh, information in the show notes. If you'd like to email us, you feel free to do that. We're going to put Grace to Use information in the show notes as well. Um, Great resource. Um, Sure, if you're listening to us, you're familiar with the podcast and the materials they put out. But, um, you know, outside of the local church, I find that the material Grace to You puts out and what comes out of Grace Community Church is it's just it's healthy, um, just extra little meals during the week that that sometimes just give me as a pastor, I tend to try to listen to a sermon or two um, every week. And it's encouraging in in addition to what we get in the local church. So I would encourage you guys to do that. Um, So with that, until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.